Hello, everybody. It's 10.38 and I'm on stage. We're doing good. I hope you have a seat. If you don't, City Crew, how are you guys doing? Yeah, we need, to teach, we need to teach people that response matters. So how are you guys doing? Louder, try again. There we go. See, that's how we do it. I always say this, said it to the 8 a.m. The more you respond, the better I preach, the better it goes for everyone. Um, I'm super excited to be preaching uh, to a flipping lot of faces. Um, but jumping into this series, I'm going to start by asking this question. If you could receive any blessing right now from God, what would it be? Because here is what is true. And I know it. When you look at God's word, when you look at how he works, you might think, hey, I've got financial struggles. I've got relational issues. I'm struggling in this area, this circumstance. And all I need actually right now is a little bit more money, another job opportunity. I need this to be sorted. I need more time. Can I tell you, you don't need more money. You don't need more time. You don't need more opportunity. You need more wisdom. Because wisdom actually is a gift given from God that doesn't just sort out the temporal circumstance, but has an eternal echo. Because God has given us wisdom in His Word. And it all gets wrapped up in Jesus. And so if you've been tracking through 2023, our 2023 theme has been, oh, someone caught it, His presence. His presence. And one of the key elements of his presence is us looking more like Jesus. If we're going to be in the presence of Jesus, he will transform and change us so that we look more like him. And actually, if the wisdom of God is a gift from God, I want you to know it is ultimately wrapped up in Jesus. And so if we're seeking wisdom, we're actually seeking Jesus because Jesus is going to bring us that gift. This series is called If Anyone Asks, And it comes off this verse at the beginning of the book of James, uh, written by the disciple James. And in chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Now, I don't want you to get confused and think we're jumping into a wisdom series where it might get very practical and helpful, and that's good, but thinking that it's going to be a TED Talk with some verses attached. Can I tell you, we're seeking wisdom, but ultimately we're seeking Jesus because He is the wisdom of God. He reveals it. He shows it. And so I want to center us on Jesus first. The New Testament actually has a few moments that it describes Jesus himself. In Colossians 2 verse 3, it says, of Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 verse 24 says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, listen, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is actually wrapped up in Jesus himself, and it is inextricably connected to his power. So just as much as Jesus has power and his spirit to give us, as he gives us salvation as a uh, ultimate free gift, I want you to know packaged within that, within the wrapping paper of the salvation of Jesus, is available to you and me the wisdom of God. I gave this message the title, Lack, Ask, Repeat. If you're taking notes, I know City Crew will do it. Lack, Ask, Repeat. And we're going to take a look not at Jesus, but actually at, we're going to rewind the clock back on his royal line and take a look at King Solomon, the son of David, who literally was in the royal line of Jesus. And by Bible standards and actually even secular standards, he was the wisest man to ever live. Most of the wisdom literature that we'll find in Scripture, especially the book of Proverbs where we're going to look today, was actually written by Solomon. 
And so he had actually asked God for wisdom, just as James encourages us to, and God had granted him that gift of wisdom. So there's two sides to uh, our message today. There's the priority of power, and secondly, the priority of planning. I want us to see the power in the gift of wisdom that, that Solomon receives from God and how he pursues that wisdom day by day in his life as he reigned as king over Israel. But then secondly, he gives us a pattern, a priority in wisdom that says actually planning matters. And so this is where we now get to see the gift of wisdom through Solomon and apply it to our lives. Those are two. I remind you of that First Corinthians verse that spoke about Jesus as being not just the wisdom of God, but the power of God. Because these two things are ultimately connected, can never be separated. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so we look at this first heading, the priority of power. I'm going to take you to the beginning of Second Chronicles, right at the beginning of King Solomon's reign. This is what it says. It says, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Verse 7 continues, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. The question I asked you at the beginning, God poses that to Solomon. Any blessing, what do you want? Verse 10, he says, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? And God answered Solomon saying, because this was in your heart and you have not even asked for long life, uh, for, for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those you hate, or even though asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. I said it's so important that we take a look at characters like Solomon. Because we can see the, the gift of wisdom and the way of wisdom wrapped up in Jesus. And very quickly, you and me... We can cop out of it. We can make excuses where this can't apply to me because either I am unworthy, I'm not good enough, or I've been disqualified because I don't know how to walk that way. But the reason it's important to look at characters in Scripture like Solomon is to remember that he was godly, not perfect. That actually he walked very imperfectly in his pursuit of God and the wisdom God had given him. And it's so important that we always remember, I say it all the time, God, God draws straight lines with crooked sticks. And so we can never fall for the trap of disqualifying ourselves because we don't somehow measure up to our view of what this looks like. Solomon was godly but not perfect. Even in this very chapter, same chapter, we find Solomon in a place called Gibeon and he's offering worship and sacrifice to God. Now Gibeon, if you don't know, was one of the old high places. So before the people of God actually were in this land, pagan people lived there. And they had high places where they would conduct their worship of idols, enemy gods, gods who were not really gods. But they desired to be in the high place because they felt like they were closer to their gods. And some horrendous acts of worship happened there. Acts of sexual immorality, child sacrifice, it was just a place of idolatry and sin. And God very specifically told his people, do not worship me there. But where do we find Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 1? Gibeon, one of the most famous high places in all of Israel. He's offering worship to God, good, but he's going against what God had said. He wasn't walking in obedience to that command. And so I want you to know Solomon was godly, but he was not perfect. And so if God could use Solomon, give him the gift of wisdom, but see and discern his heart, he can do the same with us. 
He can discern our hearts because we could be the crooked sticks that he draws straight lines with. The question is, what is the position and status of our heart? Is, do we have a heart that is seeking God? Do we have a heart like Solomon who seeks after the purpose that God had called him to, to be a godly king? And Solomon makes the connection. If I want to be a godly king, I'm going to need godly wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. A couple of things I want to highlight here. Wisdom in the word. Solomon was not just one who walked in the wisdom that God gave him. He actually would put it down in scripture for us so that we could learn from it, so that it could actually glean much honor to us. Because the first lesson of wisdom is this. Wisdom is always uh, gained by paying dumb tax. Let me tell you what I mean. We learn We gain wisdom, we gain knowledge, we gain experience by discovering, exploring, but most of all, failing. My dad used to call it school fees. You had to pay your school fees to learn a lesson. Solomon had learned a few lessons, and in the gift of wisdom that God had given him, he would put it down in Scripture for us. And so in writing something like the book of Proverbs, which is a collection of his wise sayings, what he was actually doing was paying some dumb tax on our behalf. The question is, do we want to bump our head on our own or let him pay it for us? Just taking a look at Proverbs, because you're going to see it come out a lot throughout this series. Proverbs actually are such an important piece of wisdom literature, but how we read it matters because we sometimes can go to Proverbs and we take Jesus out of the equation that becomes a TED talk, or we don't read it through the right lens and we don't apply it rightly to our life. And so there's two tips I want to give us when it comes to reading the book of Proverbs. The first tip is to know that Proverbs speak to the general and not the exception. It speaks to the rule and not the exception. Second tip is that we are to read them as Proverbs, not as promises. I'll give you an example. Proverbs 10 verse 4 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. So if Proverbs are about speaking the way life generally works, that statement is true. In general, it is better to have diligent hands. It will probably go better for you than being lazy. Can we agree? But we also know that there's exceptions to that. Because how many of us know a lazy rich person? How many of us know the person who struck the genetic lottery and are living off dad's money? It's the Donald Trump like meme that said, I started my business with a very small loan from my dad of a million dollars. And everyone goes, that ain't my dad. That's not small to him. I struggled to get tuck shop money from my dad. It was one day a week, Thursdays, because Thursdays was pies at the tuck shop. You knew it was the day. You fought for that day. And heaven help anyone that tried to take that away from you. 12 rand a pie. Hey, guys, we were living the days. Solomon's going to pay some dumb tax for us. But one of my favorite passages within all of Proverbs, and, and probably a key one for us, actually is found in Proverbs chapter 3. It's quite a famous one, but I want to take us through it, because I think it helps us in walking out the way of wisdom, pursuing this as a priority, understanding the power that wisdom has available to us as a gift. It says in verse 5 of chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. 
fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. He's going to walk out this way of the power of wisdom. The first thing I want to highlight is that wisdom will set priority. He starts out by correcting priorities that might be wrong in us. He starts out by saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your understanding. And so he sets priority. Godly wisdom sets priority on heart knowledge over head knowledge. How often do we get it the other way around? It then even continues because understanding is an intellectual exercise, but trusting is a heart exercise. It goes further and says, actually, in all your ways, so what you do, acknowledge him, and then he will make straight your paths. So if we acknowledge him in what we do now, he will make straight the paths of where we go and how we get there. But in human wisdom, can I tell you, we get that wrong. We flip it. We do it the other way. He's trying to reset our priority because in human wisdom, if we're going to a purpose and a destination, what we will do is seek the end in mind and then track back and plan our steps right to what we do next. That's human wisdom. This is setting a very different priority for us. It says, actually, all you to do is care about your obedience now and let God set the way you go. Just focus on your next step. He's got the destination in mind. He's got the path set out for how to get there. But the question is, will we step in obedience here? It resets our priority. It then continues and speaks about us fearing and following God. The way of wisdom is actually a way where we know the fear of the Lord. It sets that as a priority for wisdom. Actually, in chapter 1, Solomon goes back to this throughout the entire uh, book of Proverbs. In verse 7, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I know you might have been in church You may have heard this idea, this phrase, this concept, the fear of the Lord. You might have even heard it taught that is is this idea of this holy reverence and awe for God. Can I tell you that's true? But there is a layer of the fear of the Lord that we seem to shy away from and neglect. And most of the times, it's guys like me too scared to say it because it's difficult to understand. Because it doesn't make sense. But the fear of the Lord that is being discussed here has a layer where you actually need to understand it as shaking in your boots fear. Absolutely scared out of your mind. And that doesn't play too well when we realize that God is loving and gracious and merciful, and yet the command is we're still to fear Him with that kind of fear. It doesn't play too well, but it is there. And so we have to wrestle with it and understand what is meaning. Jesus even described that same fear In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, he said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, shaking in your boots type of fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's a clear reality. But you look at examples. The example of the disciple John is a good one. He understood the fear of the Lord with the closeness to the love of his Savior. Actually, the Apostle John is known in the Gospels as the one whom Jesus loved. He would be defined, quite literally by most uh, standards, as Jesus' best friend. There is a closeness and an intimacy there that we just, we can't understand. And yet, when it came to the fear of the Lord, John never got casual with Jesus. 
And so in the beginning of the book of Revelation in chapter 1, John gets a vision of Jesus riding in on a white horse, shining like the sun. There's a, there's a sword, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and he's scared out of his mind to the point where he says he fell to the ground as though dead, paralyzed by fear, shaking in your boots, fear. So the best friend of Jesus even understood the fear of the Lord. Shouldn't we? And we struggle to put these two things together. How can God be loving and gracious and yet I'm still supposed to fear him? I want to remind you, there are things in our world where we understand this dichotomy, but somehow when we blow it up to a God level, we struggle. Think about things like electricity. Think about things like gas. Think about things like the ocean. These are great, big, good things, helpful things, useful things, things that we want to embrace, except when there's load shedding, but we embrace them. And yet, these things are only healthy if we approach them with a certain level of fear of their bigness. If you had an electrician come to your house and he didn't have a healthy fear of getting shocked, you're going to have a dead electrician in your lounge. My wife, Nikita, cannot, she's so scared of the ocean and its bigness that she can't even watch me swim further than like ankle depth. Otherwise, she's done. She's out. Because there is a bigness in the ocean that we understand is great and it invites us in. But if you don't have a healthy fear for the ocean, you're going to be in trouble. And yet, when we talk about the bigness, the greatness of God, we struggle to understand that we have to fear Him. Because we know like things like John wrote this, perfect love casts out fear. So how does that make sense? Well, because the fear he's talking about is fear of outside things, of evil, of sin, of shame, of guilt. But the fear of the Lord is fearing the holiness and the justice of God. And so it's important that we fear the Lord, but we fear Him rightly. Because the beginning of wisdom is God is big, I am small. God is the most significant thing in all of the universe, and I am not. That is the beginning of wisdom. It then goes on, and it tells us how to be wise by telling us how to not be wise. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. I've had many conversations like this. Um, across church, I've got emails about this, and it always goes through a similar kind of a script. And I think there's a danger here that this verse is wanting to highlight. I'll get conversations of people saying, I absolutely love and appreciate the teaching and preaching here at City Hope Church. I love that uh, the, uh, the authority of the Bible is respected here, that it's a foundation of truth for us, that we'll do things like the Institute where we want to illuminate God's truth and go deep because we want to live this thing out. We want to have right belief. We want that to then inform our behavior. These are all good things. But... I've got more into scripture, I've got more into the things of the word, and there are some things that I just don't like. There are some things that actually I don't understand, I don't get, and I can't get behind. And there are things in God's word that actually I have fully rejected. I'm struggling with them. Can I tell you, there is a healthy level to struggle and wrestle with the word of God. I'll be honest with you. Not everything in scripture I just automatically get or get behind or understand. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes you miss the heart of God in that, look, God, how can this be true if you are loving? How can this, can I tell you, wrestling with God in that space is good. But 
when we take it to the level of now we will reject parts of truth, start to pick out and cherry pick bits of truth in God's word that, li that we like, what we are going to do is actually fall into the trap of being wise in our own eyes. Because now we are taking the, the approach of judging the Bible instead of the Bible judging us. If we are not going to be wise in our own eyes, it means we will bow to the wisdom of God's word, even when that is difficult. And I know it's difficult. I've walked that road. I walk that road. I know. But we're called to be wise, not in our own eyes, but wise in the measure of God's wisdom that he gives as a gift. That's the power. That's the priority that is placed on the power of wisdom, this gift that's given to us coming through Solomon. I want to change gears because it's all good and well that the gift is there. But I want you to know that the gift has to be applied to your tomorrow. And for that to be important, we have to get into this idea of the priority of planning. Because the truth is humans will either make plans or excuses. We'll either make plans to make plans that never happen. Or we get down and we design this thing as God has called us to. I'm going to tell the story because I'm going quick. This is what's important. Wisdom, by definition, is the application of knowledge. It's why in Scripture you'll see so many times it says wisdom and knowledge. Because we know this. Knowledge on its own is pretty useless in the real world. There are a lot of intellectually strong people, high, high IQ people, that are dumb when it comes to the world. Because there's no way that they can take this high intellect, this high knowledge, and then apply it to the real world and real life. Wisdom is the ability to take that knowledge and apply it now and apply it rightly. It's important that we get that application right. And the only way we do it is through planning and preparation. There's a, sto a famous story of a shipyard, and it had a big container ship in it that uh, its engine had blown, and no one could fix this thing. And if you know anything about container ships, the longer they are not working, the longer they are not carrying loads, it just becomes an exponentially uh, a drain on funds. It is literally a, a deep abyss where there's all the cash is flowing and nothing is coming out. And so this company was getting desperate to get this thing fixed. They had brought in experts, mechanics, engineers. No one could get this thing working right. And then their team said, there's one guy. He's retired now. He did this forever. There's one guy. If he can't fix this thing, no one can. And so they brought him out of retirement, brought him to the shipyard. And he walked around with his little duffel bag. The engine is about the size of this room. It's massive. And he walked around for five minutes, and then he went into his bag, and he pulled out a hammer. And in two places, he hit the engine, and he told them, start it up again. And it started, worked perfectly, went through all the tests, and he left. Five minutes, they watched him. Everyone was shocked. A little while later, the invoice arrived. $20,000 repair. And they came back to him and said, you walked around for five minutes, you hit it twice. $20,000. Can you give us an itemized bill? So he said, cool. Emailed back. Steel hammer, $2. Knowing where to use it, $19,998. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. There's a lot of good knowledge in the world. Can I tell you, there's far less wisdom. It's why you don't need more money. It's why you don't need more time. It's why you don't need, you need more wisdom. 
When we know the ways of the world and the ways of heaven, we're able to bring the wisdom of God into every situation, and it changes everything. It's so funny that we do desire to plan, but we make excuses. We even plan to make the plan, but we don't do it. Because it's in our desire. If you wanted to buy a car, I know you have a desire that that car is well planned out, well designed. But imagine you went up to We Buy Cars at the Dome and a guy was taking you around. Salesman said, this is the car for you. It's amazing. It's basically brand new. Just came out the factory. It's won all these awards. And you started to look at the car and you realize, hey, it looks like the bumpers are from two different cars. It looks like the paint isn't even matching. You get inside, it's like the door was on backwards. And you look, there's no speedo, there's no revs, it's just a clock. And the salesman keeps telling you how amazing this car is. Can I tell you, you would never buy that car. Because it is flawed in its design. It's flawed in its execution. We desire a well-designed car, but we don't live a well-designed life. There's an aspect of godly planning that I want to take a look at. And it's this idea of seasonal planning, actually planning with seasons in mind, because that's wisdom from Scripture. There's a biblical principle that comes out in seasons. Often it's, it uses farming analogies, that there's a time for sowing and a time for reaping. Proverbs 20 verse 4 actually puts it this way, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. And so the wisdom of the, uh, of the Bible, the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon is this, that actually firstly you are called to identify the season you are in, and then secondly, rightly apply priority, decisions, and actions to that season. We get it wrong. First of all, we struggle to identify the season we're in, and secondly, we don't get comfortable or accept the season we are in. There's many seasons, and I want to take you through a kind of a macro to a micro picture of the three different types of seasons I want to focus on. You have on the first end macro, life seasons. This is age and stage stuff, stuff you can imagine. Then you squeeze that down, you get into annual seasons, yearly seasons. This is where you start to get to like scheduling your calendar through a year. I know some people just got excited. Organizers, this is where you're at. And then you squeeze it down even further to a weekly season, a weekly schedule. How does this actually play out day to day so that we can now move from the micro to the macro and achieve the purposes God has for us? First of all, the life seasons, age and stage. We know that there's life seasons. What season are you in? We have those who are babies. We just had a baby dedication. A lot, of, uh, a lot of different things in that season. Fully reliant on mom and dad. But then you move up, you, become, you, get, you get to be a child. Uh, we had Jaden's third birthday yesterday. He's kind of on that cusp of, he's moved out of baby life and he's now properly in like the three-nager toddler life. Season of life. You then go through adolescence, young adults. You become an adult in the working world. You move on and eventually, hopefully you retire and get to live out something cool. And there's different seasons attached to all of those. Because there'll be a season when you're single and a season when you may be married and a season where you maybe have kids and are now a parent. And then maybe those kids grow up and they're out and now you're an empty nester. Well, then you actually move to a season where you lose a spouse and you become a widow. And so all of these seasons matter. And I want you to know God cares about you in every single season. But there is a caveat here. There is a warning when it comes to the seasonal planning in the wisdom of God. If we don't identify the season right, and more importantly, if we don't accept the season we are in, 
it will cause great pain. Because if you are unhappy in the season you are in, you are either going to wish back to a previous season or rush forward to a, 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 a future season and you'll miss what God is doing in the now. As difficult as that is. Imagine if you're a single and then married and you become a parent. Imagine the singles who are wishing to be married. They run down this road of bitterness. It's not helpful. It's not good for you. Or you're married and you're wishing back to the time when you were single. Can we imagine there's some marriage issues there? And then you're so desperate as a married person to have a child. Good thing. And don't get me wrong. These are all good things. We want the desires. God cares about our desires. But when it gets to the point where unhealthily we are now wishing for it that we want to live there, think about the spouse that gets neglected in that season. Or what about the parents who are now just under the pump and they're wishing back to the time when the kids were smaller because smaller kids mean smaller problems and now big kids mean big problems. Or no kids at all. The struggle is real. It is dangerous when we don't accept the current season we're in. Because what we're called to do is accept the season, be content in the season that we're in. You're going to see that now. But secondly, we aren't to long back for a past season because that work has been done. It's also the problem that we tra- and the trap we fall into because we think, well, if it worked in the last season, it will work in this season. And so we copy-paste priorities and decisions and actions, and we use it now thinking we'll get the same result. But we're in a different season. Can I tell you, you don't hire the combine harvester for the season of planting. It doesn't work. Or the other don't is now wishing ahead and rushing ahead to the next season and forgetting that God's going to do work in the now to to prepare you for the next. And if we rush ahead, we will short circuit the plan and the hand of God. His desire is that we are mature in every season. This is actually how Paul puts it in Philippians 4. And this is a The last verse is one of the most quoted verses ever, but can I tell you, you probably missed it in this context. Verse 11 in chapter 4 of Philippians says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. It's actually given us a picture of holy contentment, which I believe is how we actually are to walk out the seasons of life that we're in. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many times have we quoted that verse, but we didn't quote it in this context? Because the context is holy contentment. I'm content in the season I am in. I still have desires for what's coming next. I still enjoyed what came in the past, but I'm content because God is doing a work now. Holy contentment has a goal, and that goal is maturity because God is wanting to see us mature at every season. It spoke of Jesus so many times in the Gospels that as he grew from a baby to a young uh, adolescent to a man, that he grew in wisdom and stature that he grew in maturity at every stage. Because I want you to know, maturity is relative. You're judged on your maturity by God according to the season that you are in. And so when it said that Jesus was wise and mature as a 12-year-old, he was wise and mature for a 12-year-old. He wasn't being judged on the wisdom and maturity of him at 30, beginning his earthly ministry. God's desire is that we are mature at every stage. He's doing work. Then we squeeze it down away from the life seasons and squeeze it even more into the yearly season, the annual calendar. 
couple of helpful Proverbs. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Proverbs 16 verse 3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. When we understand the priority of God's wisdom, when we understand that He has purposes for us, it's a helpful filter even in our annual schedule where we're planning the ups and the downs of the year. The times of rest and the times of activity. I'm going to let you in on, uh, on some behind the scenes. Us as a staff team, our ministry team, we get together every single October and we plan out the entire calendar for the next year. And we plan it according to the priority and the purposes God has given us as a church. And so we plan our up, down, up times and our down times according to a schedule that might look different to you. You might be planning over Easter holiday. Can I tell you? It's our Super Bowl. So we plan it differently because we got purposes and priorities that look different. But that means it's all hands on deck. And we know, even this time of year right now, Sai spoke about it being mayhem. We're going into term two, May, June, July, where everyone in Joburg is here for a good amount of time. There's no holidays, no public holidays. We're here. And so it's a great time for us as a church to consistently build and progress and take steps as a church and a community together. So I can tell you, we're running our staff ragged for the next three months. But in August, I have got a lot of leave applications coming across my desk because that's the time to rest. That's the time to plan peace. Proverbs actually says, I didn't put it in, I cut it out, but actually said we should plan peace and then we will receive joy. So we plan our time of rest because if you've been in this church for any length of time, you'll know what comes in September, super September. And so we're back up. We plan with the ebbs and flows in mind, but it's always filtered according to priorities and purpose. We're either going to make plans or we make excuses. So we have to plan. Last one is this, weekly rhythms. Now we squeeze it down into what a week looks like. What do you actually do day to day to walk in the purpose that God has and the way of wisdom that he has given us as a gift? How do you set your weekly schedule? Now I can tell you most people set their weekly schedule based on efficiency productivity, and most importantly, time management. It's the buzzword with optimizing. Even if you put your schedule through ChatGPT, did you notice the ChatGPT on the, if you put your, I know people who have done that, and I can tell you, you're going to optimize that schedule. Time will be amazing. Can I tell you something that beats time management? Energy management. Let me tell you why. If time is your primary focus, you will be efficient you will get a lot done very fast. You'll get stuff done quickly. But if energy is your primary focus, you'll be effective. If time's the focus, you do it quickly. If energy's the focus, you're gonna do it rightly. Because this is what's important. Time is finite. Time is external. Therefore, it is far more out of your control. There are only 24 hours in a day for all of us. I don't care what bar one tells you, you don't get an extra hour. That's it. 24 hours in a day. It doesn't matter if it's you or Elon Musk or KSI and Logan Paul, you get 24 hours in a day and that's it. It's finite. It also is external and out of your control. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Energy is different because energy is variable. 
Do you ever do something that you love and your activity is super high, but you walk away still energized? Energy is variable. We can actually add and take away. And that is under our control because it is internal. So why do we try to control what is finite and external when we have far more control over what is internal and variable? It is wisdom from God. Don't focus on time, focus on energy. Because he's calling us to be effective, not efficient. Effective in his purpose. So every one of you are going to get a homework assignment. This is what you're going to do. If you care about energy management, I want you to take your week, your weekly schedule, and write down just a, a fat list of every activity that is regular in your week. Everything from sleeping to making a spreadsheet to walking the dog to going to the gym to uh, uh, having a team's, whatever it is, write the activity down, list it out, and then go through the list and imagine you have a bucket and put either a plus or a minus next to that activity if it's going to fill your bucket or if it's going to take away. And then you're going to go through the list again, top to bottom, because I know there will be things on that list that is, are worth two pluses. And there'll be things that are worth two minuses. Teams meetings, two minuses, down. <laughs> and go through the list again. And then plot out a day and work out at the end of that 24 hours, do you believe your bucket is going to be full and content or dry and empty? The amazing thing is we're able to then optimize our schedule, now not based on time but based on energy, because where I've got a lot of minuses, I can add in some pluses. So that I'm walking out at the end of the day feeling energized in the purpose God has called me. That's your homework assignment. The band's going to join me on stage. If we desire wisdom, we're seeking Jesus. We're seeking his purpose for us. I said to you already, I don't want you ever to think that this is just a TED talk with some verses attached. Because I want to remind you that, yes, it's important that you uh, care about your bucket. It's important that you plan and design your life so that that bucket is optimized so that we get the most done in the purpose that God has for us. Focus on the pluses and minuses. Use the wisdom of God to apply it to your tomorrow. But what I never want us to forget is this, that we can fill our bucket naturally, but Jesus is the one who fills our bucket supernaturally. And so he was the one who even made the bucket available. <laughs> He's the one who can pour his living water into us. The picture we're about to see of this baptism is the picture of Jesus' living water making these guys alive. And they get to actually show a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. Can I tell you, in his death and resurrection, he didn't just win salvation for us. That is the big prize. That is primary. But attached to it is all the wisdom of God that he has available to us so that we can walk out in his purpose. The wisdom of God is so amazing because it helps us walk in the identity he has won for us already on the cross. And it helps us walk out and lead out the purpose he has called us to. This is what it says in Colossians 1.28. It says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I want you to know that the picture of Jesus is that supernaturally he pours his living water into us. So that 
we optimize our bucket. We prioritize planning. We prioritize the wisdom that God's given us. But we do not take a step without Jesus. We do not take a step without Jesus being our priority. The amazing picture of these guys is that they have made Jesus a priority, that he is top of the list, that he is first in all things, that he is the one who's poured out his grace and his mercy because he was the one who toiled and struggled for them. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel and how it saves us, but how the gospel actually gets played out in our everyday life. Why don't you stand with me? It's an exciting day. And so we're going to ramp up in our energy. Because I can tell you, it's not just about our energy. It's about the energy that Jesus is putting in us right now. Because He's going to pour out His Spirit again, as He always does. Because He's the one that flings open the gates of heaven, and we get to join in and worship. So Jesus, it's our heart right now that we would lift our hands, our hearts, our lives to You. That we celebrate as ones who have been saved as ones who have the offer of salvation and the gift of your wisdom to walk out in the identity and the purpose you have. Lord, we thank you for what's about to happen. This beautiful picture of our city crew, preteens, who have stepped up, stepped out, and accepted you as Lord. Lord, we know that you saved each one of them, that you grabbed a hold of their heart, and we get to now celebrate in the picture of your death, your resurrection. It's available to every single one of us. We give all glory to you. You change our identity. You change our purpose. That is why you are worthy of our worship. So we lift our voice. We lift everything we have to sing to you in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.